Christianity is a glory story. Christianity is a divine drama written, directed, and starred by the King of Glory. And this King of Glory must receive all the applause for the story of glory. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will give to no other. The Lord is jealous for his own glory, will share it with none. Adam and Eve in the garden, they wanted a share of that glory. They sought to rob God of his glory, or at least to have a share in that glory. You can be like God. And for their sin, the Lord banished them. We know the same happened to Israel in the wilderness. Like Adam, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie with idols made of wood and stone, and the Lord banished them now in continuity with the Old Testament Acts 5 serves to show us that God is still jealous God is still jealous for his glory verse 1 but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property now in selling this property there's nothing wrong here it appears that they want to be together with the church in, with their possessions, to give and serve. They want to serve as an example. If you remember last week, Joseph, verse 36, chapter 4, verse 36, they wanted to be like Joseph, dare to be like Joseph. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field, a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Giving for the needy in the church. And so too, Ananias and Sapphira, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. There's nothing really wrong here either. There's nothing wrong with only giving half of your possessions. If only you'd give half your paycheck to the church, that'd be a really good thing. But there's nothing wrong. That's not the sermon, by the way. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with them selling and giving a piece and keeping back. It would have been just as fine. They would have been just as faithful to give only half. But there is something wrong. There was something wrong. Verse 3. And before I actually even get to verse 3, you can see that there's something wrong in verse 2 when he says, and with his wife knowledge he kept back. There's some kind of collusion going on between a man and a woman. Kind of takes us back to the garden, does it not? Some colluding, a conspiracy it seems, perhaps, maybe, I don't know, but verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now here with prophetic insight, Peter sheds light on this couple's true motives. They were not seeking to fulfill scriptures, one another's. 
They were not caring for the needy in the church. They were not living for the glory of the Lord. They wanted to be examples. They loved the praise that Joseph received. They were in it for glory. They wanted glory. And a jealous God is going to give them that glory. This perverted glory story is old. I remember it when I, I remember it back in my evangelical days when I was taught, raised, catechized, really, to tithe for tenfold sake. Maybe some of you were raised that way. You tithe, the Lord will bless you tenfold. And the entrepreneur in me gave. I gave to get. That's a false glory story. That's perverted glory. False glory says give to get. Yet we exist to give. We exist to give. So the cross says give because you got. Give because the Lord has given you everything. The cross says we love because God first loved. God loved us. It's that first love, the love of God, that compels us. The glory of the cross says you are one in Christ, so live as one in Christ. In Christ. We're co-heirs with Christ. Think of all the biblical pictures of salvation in Christ. You're co-heirs. Brothers with Christ. We have the spirit of glory who now rests on us as a guarantee of our glorious inheritance. We not only have hope of glory, but glory is ours now. And so we share the blessings. Our blessings we share with one another. You see, friends, the, the, the glory of the cross unites us. It creates this unity and unites us together. Unites us in love and service and fellowship and giving not to be seen. There's a temptation to give for glory. That's why Christ says in Matthew 6, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your giving may be in secret. Secrecy Secrecy stands in the way of false glory. It really stands in the way of you getting the glory for yourself. Secrecy leads to the gospel where true glory is found. We give not to be seen as a loving person, but because we are loving persons. We love because he first loved us. That first love compels us. That first love of Christ controls us. That's our glory, the cross. Not that we love, but that he first loved us. So there's a truth in there. There's a truth here. If we find in this church any reason for our existence other than the gospel of Christ, if we find in this church the existence of the blessings, if we exist for the blessings of the church, family and togetherness, raising children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, all blessings, all good things. But if that's who we are as a church, why do you come to this church? 
If you start rattling off all these blessings, then you're really turning those blessings into a false glory. That's your love. But we exist for the love of Christ who compels us. We live for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's Christ and Him crucified. Why do you go to that church? Because they preach Christ and Him crucified. That's glory. Then the blessings all have their place, their proper place. The first love of God. There's a false glory story in this world which is created by a false God. Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? This feeling, feeling, this feeling is possession. You see, Satan seeks to feel, to own, like the Holy Spirit who fills our hearts to possess and control us. Satan here in a false feeling seeks to possess. He filled Adam and Eve's heart with a lie. You can be like God. Glory. They wanted glory. And Satan really possessed their hearts in order to rule their whole persons. That's how Satan works. He fills your hopes, dreams, joy, and comfort with false treasure, glory, in order to lead your heart away from what is really and truly glorious. And he leads you away in order to possess you. Take money, for example, since it's somewhat the context. Money. We're easily tempted to believe that if we only had a little bit more, if we can only get our hands on a little bit more, then life will be good. If only we can have a little bit more, we can be comfortable. Hey, the millionaires have all the joy, don't they? So let's get more. So our heart follows this treasure to make more. Make more. Work harder. It's not enough. Sorry, son, I can't make your ball game this week. Oh, I don't have time for church. The market, man, the market. And I got that competitor. Got to beat those competitors. Got to get more. Got to have more. I don't have enough. More and more until that money you owns, owns you. Earthly glory is the lie. Longer health, more wealth. Then you can be like God. Remember here the most important question. What's the most important question in life? What is your only comfort in life and in death? It's that I'm not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has delivered me from the tyranny of chasing false hopes and dreams. To find true joy in the cross of Christ. To find comfort in the gospel. And nowhere else. Now, what's happening in this text is what always happens among God's people. Satan sows tares among the wheat who seek to rob God the glory due his name. 
Verse 4. And while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your disposal? At your disposal, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. We learn here that Ananias and Sapphira were not under pressure to sell their goods. They, had, they were at liberty to do with their property as they wished. They could have sold it and gave it, give, and give it, and give it all to the Lord. They could have sold and just give a little bit. They could, have been, they could have kept it all. They would have been faithful to do either. And this makes the offense worse because there was no need to sin like this. And what we find here in this sin is allegiance. Their allegiance was not to the Lord but to another. And here's another detail that takes us back to the garden with Adam and Eve. They had perfect fellowship with God. They had nothing but blessings, paradise, glory. Yet they were willing to forsake it all in order to have a share in the glory for themselves. The original sin of the church, the original sin of the church that we see here is the original sin in the garden, pride, which results in idolatry. Just like in the garden, just like in Israel when they traded God's glory for their own, so too here we find the discipline of the Lord. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon the church. You need to see here, you need to, under, to understand this text, you really have to understand the garden. This is really just a fulfillment of God's promise in the garden to the wayward. That day you will surely die. And as Adam and Eve heard those words and death came upon all men, so too, look here, hearing when he heard, look at the text. When he heard these words, death. It's the power of the word of God. By faith comes by hearing. Salvation comes by hearing. But guess what also comes by hearing? The word of the Lord. Condemnation. Hearing. Listen to Isaiah 11. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with his breath, with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. This is the end time glory work of Christ and this end time work is now our time. Church discipline is an end time work of Christ where through the elders the gates of heaven are closed against unbelievers. Church discipline is a proclamation against those who deny the gospel. You will surely die. That's why we have in our liturgy, you know, in the liturgy, in the, in the declaration of forgiveness, there is the condemnation for those who do not believe. You're still in your sins. But to those who believe, deliver from destruction and have the gift of eternal life. 
And church discipline filled the early church with such reverence and awe. Great fear, the text says. Great, mega fear. We've heard about the great gospel last week. The great power of grace. Great grace, now great fear. Great fear is actually a good thing in the church. Church needs great fear. Take away the fear of the Lord. And worship will be a hot mess. And I use that adjective literally, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We must worship the Lord with reverence and awe. We need great fear. There is only acceptable worship through great fear. Acceptable worship that gives God all the glory. Thus, his word and commandments are all we do. And we forsake all others. And through proper worship, through the means of grace, God fills his church with obedience. And then a recapitulation, verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. This is really just a recapitulation with one difference. Verse 9, and Peter said to her, how is, it that you have, how, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? The testing of the Lord in the Bible is the attempt to rob God, to rob God of his majesty, to rob God of his glory, his greatness, his power, his sovereignty. So Adam and Eve tested the Lord in the garden. When they followed a false word, has God really said? Again, Israel in the wilderness tested the Lord. They failed to believe that he could provide. And God both, and God judged both Adam and Israel. And really behind the scenes, what we see here, Satan filled your heart, what we are really seeing is a cosmic battle in this text. It's a cosmic battle between a false God and the one true God against Satan who possesses, he fills or he attempts, he attempts to rob God of glory. Yet true glory remains with God who fills the church with true glory, possesses the hearts of his people and fills them with godly fear. Verse 10, immediately she fell down and at his feet breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. This is true glory. Verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. We must recognize that God still ministers discipline. That's why the Reformed Church continues to practice church discipline. Maybe not in this way. <laughs> but here's our rule. Here's our rule of church discipline. We don't fear the discipline of the Lord. We fear the Lord. 
We fear the Lord. You know, discipline for the church, according to God's word, not only purifies the church of unbelief. If need be, church discipline leads to excommunication, to purify. But also, church discipline, it causes the weak and the lazy Christian to move forward in good works to the glory of God. It strengthens the church in the fear of the Lord. If a church lacks discipline, you pretty much bet it lacks the fear of the Lord and good works. And there's another rule here. It's the gospel rule. He first loved us. So though we fear the Lord, we realize he first loved us. God's glory is a terrifying thing. Yet for those of us who believe, it's the most beautiful thing. For we see in God's glory the cross of Christ. You must see in the glory of the Lord the cross of Christ. The hope of glory. The hope of glory that was lost in the garden. The hope of glory taken away in Israel. It was a hope gone until Christ and we have seen his glory. The glory of the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Christ is not only the, not only the image of glory, the exact representation of the Father's glory, but Christ was jealous to maintain, to protect, promote the glory of the Lord. And for glory, Christ suffered the shame of the cross because he was obedient he was obedient to the point of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Glory. That's the story. Christianity is a glory story. Now, you might be asking in the story, about the story, do I have a role, do I have a part in the story? Yes, you have a part in the divine drama, not the lead. <laughs> By faith in Christ, we now have a part in God's story. Paul said, the sufferings of this age do not compare with the glory that will be revealed to us. And this hope of glory was so certain for Peter that he spoke of it as a present reality. 1 Peter 5.1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well is our partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. It is going to be revealed, but we partake in that glory now. There is glory to come. But there is glory now for those in Christ Jesus. Your life is hid in Christ Jesus, exalted in the heavens. Your position now on earth in the sad, falling world is exalted, holy, you no longer stand in sin and death, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are righteousness and you are life, life eternal. Glory is yours. And not only are we redeemed by
by glory and for glory. We are being renewed by the glory of the gospel into the image of Christ. That glorious life that we will live now, partake of it now through the means of grace and live a life in obedience to find the chief end of man in the gospel. The chief end of man to live for the glory of the Lord and to enjoy him forever. So we live for the glory of God as we live in the ministry of the glorious gospel. Christianity is therefore indeed a glory story. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.